Let's open up our Bibles to Psalm 123. You remember, the Psalms were the hymn book of the nation of Israel, and there was really five hymn books. There are five books uh, within what we call the Book of Psalms. We're in the last of the five books, Psalm 107 through Psalm 150. And then we've come to a subsection within that that's kind of distinct. We call these the Psalms of Ascent, starting in Psalm 120 and running through 134. Fifteen Psalms that have this unique title, A Song of Ascent. Again, we don't know exactly what that's about. There's three possible interpretations, and all three of those interpretations have a psalm in their favor and that interpretation in their favor. So it could be all of them, part of them. Uh, They could be about psalms written by those who were going to Jerusalem for the mandatory feasts, annual feasts, the three feasts a year, the Pentecost, Passover, and Tabernacles. And as, as they traveled from far off distant lands, maybe they, as they approached, they would begin singing the psalms of ascent. Certainly some of the psalms feel that way. Uh, it could be that um, they were sung in a little more ceremonial way. As you entered the temple, there were stairways going up or something. There are a few stairways in here. But it could be that they, as they came up one step at a time, they would sing these psalms. It could be that. It could be um, that these are psalms that were penned and sung by um, uh, those who were returning from the Babylonian captivity. Some of them feel that way. Some of, them, some of them have those interpretations in their favor, and then the other ones don't. So it's probably all three. But as, as we get to them, we notice that these 15 psalms are all uniquely packaged with that title, a psalm of ascent. And so last time we were together on uh, the Sunday before the conference, um, we said that we were going to look at these from the standpoint of applying them to be snapshots of a life that is moving upward. Uh, That shouldn't be a a strange concept to those who are walking with the Lord. Jesus talks about following him and walking with him, coming out of darkness and into the light. And Paul himself borrowed that uh, phraseology in Philippians chapter 3 when he said, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so uh, from that standpoint, we're looking at the Psalms, snapshots of things that go and characterize a life that is leaving this world, so to say, and following after the Lord. What does it look like? What does a life that goes upward look like? And Psalm, Psalm 120, 121, 122, we looked at those on um, that Sunday we were together, and um, so we're in Psalm 123. Again, a song of a sense. Let's just read it. These short, they're just four verses, five verses. Some of these are very short. It says, a song of a sense. Unto you I lift up my eyes, O you who dwell in the heavens. Behold, or, you know, behold just means check it out, or look. Uh, look, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, And as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. Have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us. For we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorn of those who are at ease, with the contempt of the proud. 
And you can see how this kind of a psalm would fit somebody who's either at the end of the Babylonian captivity or someone who's traveling out of a foreign distant land to come to uh, Jerusalem, you know, where, where they would find relief from, you know, maybe rampant paganism and idolatry and rejection of, of God. But Psalm 123, uh, for us, you know, it's, it states some, some things I think that are, are, are very good for us to consider, again, as we try to map out a course out of this world and into heaven. He says, uh, unto you I lift up my eyes. We saw that a lot in this verse. Uh, Behold, as the eyes of the servants there, and then later on, verse 2, as the eyes of a maid, so our eyes look to the Lord. And back in Psalm 121, it was, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. I lift up my eyes. What does that mean? Well, certainly not talking about, obviously, a literal, just walking with your eyes looking in the sky. That's silly. It's talking about a putting in a new way of understanding everything in life, a new foundational perspective. You know, again, when we start to walk with the Lord, we start to, when we get born again, a whole new reality suddenly is unfolded before our eyes. We realize that the world is not just here and just not just material. There's a spiritual aspect that's really more foundational and more enduring and more real than the physical things that we see because, uh, you know, all of this eventually is going to be replaced. And, you know, the end, of the, the end of the book says that there's a new heavens and a new earth. But all the things that are spiritual remain. And so uh, when we say we lift up our eyes, we're talking about now in a life that's, that's going upward towards the Lord, we're talking about looking at life from a brand new perspective instead of just what I want and what I feel and what I think and what's you know moving me on television and stuff like that instead I'm thinking about the Lord now I'm bringing him into every situation even in the just the quietness of my own mind I'm thinking about you know this means something beyond just what I'm feeling myself and beyond just what is being said and heard. There are spiritual truths here. I lift up my eyes um, to you, O Lord. It says, unto you I, I lift up my eyes. And then it says, O you who dwell in the heavens. You know, he could have said anything. He could have said just you, Lord. But you who dwell in the heavens, I think that is indicative of very necessary contemplation about the nature of the Lord. You know, for a life that's, again, going upward towards God and out of this world, we start to think about God and about his, his real nature. And you who dwell in the heavens implies it's, he's been thinking about God and, and, you know, the reality that, wow, he, you know, he's here with me, but how are you going to encapsulate God? You know, this is a, this is a statement of you are... It's all about you, Lord. This this is all yours, you know. And as we as we go go in the Lord, we grow in our understanding of the Lord. I think if we go to First um, John, you will see this in a way when the Apostle John is writing to people who were needing to be uh, instructed in the difference between who believes and who does not. Kind of the Gnostics. He he in, in chapter two he writes to. 
fathers, he writes to young men, and he writes to children. And he's not talking just about the men in the fellowship and just the adolescent youth, males, and, and the little kids, the little boy. He's talking about spiritual fathers, spiritual young men, and spiritual children. He says, I write to you little children, verse 12 of 1 John 2, write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children because you have known the father. I have written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong The word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. There's an increasing knowledge in God that goes with a a walk with the Lord that goes on. We first come to know the Lord, it's Jesus has forgiven my sin. And yes, that's, that's everything. But we grow in the knowledge of God. And so the fathers can talk about him who is from the beginning. Um, a, A deeper knowledge of the eternity and trying to grasp a little bit of his internal nature. You know, that's, that's kind of a heavy topic. So, again, I really like this, this Psalm 123 portrays somebody who, if a life is ascending, going on with the Lord, he's thinking about what God's really like. And it's impressing him. And he, he's speaking to God about who he really is. I think, that's, I think that, that probably shows up in your prayer life shows up in our prayer lives. If we talk to him, we, we recount to him what we know about him. And, uh, you know, it goes, it, it goes a long ways in our prayer life to change the focus of what we're going to say. You know, a lot of times we pray, and we pray for things to change. That's the way we enter into prayer is to talk to him, wanting to change things. But as we think about him in prayer and we talk to him, and maybe we recount those things we know about him, oh, you who dwell in the heavens. It isn't so much the things that change, it's our perspective that changes. Again, and I think it's a necessary part of our uh, upward call in Christ Jesus to grow in our knowledge of who he is, strengthens us in prayers, changes our perspective in prayer. It says, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mes- our mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. The idea of Psalm 123 really is about a living in the, the promise that God's mercy is coming. He knows, the writer knows, that God's mercy is coming. I might not understand what he's doing right now, but God's mercy is coming. And we're just going to wait for him to do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. And so uh, he uses this analogy as the eyes of servants, looking masters and maids at that time, you know, hospitality was a very big deal in the Middle Eastern culture. And so when somebody came under the care of your house, you fed them lavishly as much as you could. And, you know, during that, that time of eating, it isn't just pop it in the microwave, get it out, shovel it down, and we're on our way like we do. It was a, a lengthy event, a lot of food, a lot of conversation. So... If, if you have guests that you want to take care of, you, you were careful to make sure that all of their needs were met. And you couldn't, at, at that time, take care of, their, of your guests' needs by verbally commanding the servant, oh, he needs, he needs more butter, he needs more ice in his water, he needs another scoop of mashed potatoes, he need, and you couldn't do that. You'd never get in an edge, edge, word edgewise. It would just be all commands. So 
they had it worked out with servants that the masters who were in charge there could just point and shoot, you know, signals, kind of like base coach, you know, run third, whatever. Um, you could just send signals that way, and, the, and an attentive servant tuned in to what the master's doing would know exactly what that means and know exactly what to do. The guests would be well taken care of. The master would be very pleased because their guests are well taken care of. And so that's a, I think that's a really interesting analogy that he, he pulls in here. He could have said anything. He could have gone and gotten any, any analogy. But prompted by the Holy Spirit, he brings an analogy of serving and waiting on the Lord and serving. And uh, that's uh, you know, essential to any life that is going to be obedient to that upward call in Christ Jesus is having a heart of servanthood, looking to the Lord to obey him, and training ourselves to be sensitive to the leading of his Holy Spirit. Um, we have to be trained to do that. We, we don't come into the body of Christ knowing how to do that, what it is to recognize when the Lord is prompting us to do something. But we learn. You know, you get into a situation and, you, and you know, you got questions. What am I supposed to do? I don't know. Is that you, Lord? I don't know. You know? And then, you know, you, you, maybe you're successful or you, you're, you're obedient in that situation and, and there's joy or, or you're not. You don't do it. And you, afterwards you go, oh, man, that was the Lord. I should. Okay, those are all learning opportunities. And so we learn. So I really like this analogy. The eyes of servants looking to the hand of, the, of their master to just give them directions. They want to do what he or she says. Okay, so servanthood. We can talk a lot about serving the Lord, having a heart of servanthood. But, you know, I think loaded in there also is a conscious awareness with a desire to be in fellowship with him in what he's doing. <laughs> you know, that's just love, love for God. I want to do what you're doing. I want to be where you're working. I think that's all loaded into here. And that's all waiting for his mercy to come. His mercy is on the way. Look at verse 3. It says, For we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Verse 4 repeats it two more times. Our soul is exceedingly filled we have had it up to here with the scorn of those who are at ease, the contempt of the proud. There's, there's contempt twice. There's scorn. Uh, you remember chapter Psalm 120? Remember it started, In my distress I cried to the Lord. And then there is this uh, false tongue and all that. Yeah. You know, here's a, another mark of a life that is ascending. It's coming out of the world. And that is, not everybody's going to like that you follow Jesus. <laughs> uh, in fact, Jesus warned us a great deal about that himself. In John chapter 15, he says, The world hates you. You know that it hated me before it hated you. John chapter 15, verse 18. Verse 19, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because I, cause you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. In John chapter 7, Jesus kind of makes this a little clearer as to why there's so much hatred. John chapter 7, he says, the world cannot hate you. Well, it's, he was talking about somebody else. But he says this, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. So as you go about this new life in Jesus, 
suddenly consciously aware of him, desiring to be around him, serve him, looking and processing, looking at life and processing of the standpoint of the reality of God's love and his mercy and grace, that's a testimony to that whole life you had beforehand and everybody in there that its works are evil. And some people aren't going to like that. They are not going to like that. And you don't have to spend too long in the body of Christ doing that before you encounter hatred from people because you are now a follower of Jesus. It's part of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus is to recognize that that's a reality. Look, you're going to be hated by people like you've never been hated before when you come come to the Lord, but you're going to be loved and accepted by people like you have never been loved and accepted before in the body of Christ. So there's a balance there. So Psalm 123 is all about that. God's mercy is on its way. And while we wait, we're going to continue to serve him and uh, know that we're going to be rejected by the the world. Uh, Psalm 124, again, a psalm, a song of ascents of David. It's probably written by David, so this can't be the Babylonian activity, captivity, people coming back if it's of David. It's far earlier. It says, if it, had, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, they would have swallowed us alive when the wrath was kindled against us. Then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul. Then the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. Blessed be or blessed is the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Okay, so Psalm 124, very much encapsulating much of Israel's history in just generalized terms. Um, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, we would have been wiped out. And that's been the history of Israel. Um, from the very, their very conception. It was Pharaoh that wanted to wipe them out uh, from the very beginning, did not want them to be birthed as a nation, you know, under the inspiration of the devil. And, you know, you can, you can go forward into the time of anybody. I mean, I mean pick the time of Esther, you know, Mordecai. There was, there was a very uh, organized effort to try to eliminate the Jews. And yet the Lord had that in hand and reversed it on the enemies of Israel. Uh, You can go all the way to the end of the book of the Bible and see that this is a common theme. You know, this is, again, a psalm of ascent. And back in Psalm 122, we encountered kind of a term, this in, in in, in in a way. Remember it said, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We talked about having a love for Jewish people and the nation of Israel. And that doesn't mean we think everything that they do is right, but we acknowledge that they are God's chosen people. And then because of that, they have a special, unique place in God's economy. They have real promises to, to them that have yet to be fulfilled um, about a kingdom. They are through whom the Messiah came. And so we have a love for them and a special place in our thinking. And every type of ethnic 
racism is wrong. Every type. And, you know, the, the devil's doing that more and more in the last days, is inflaming ethnic tensions. But there is a unique satanic quality to anti-Semitism that, well, go to the book of Revelation, chapter 12. He uses some of this exact terminology that we find in Psalm 124. When there's a vision of a woman, a child, and a dragon, the woman being Israel, she gives birth to a, a child, and that's obviously Jesus, and there's all kinds of idioms about the dragon, and it's obviously Satan. We're not going to read the whole chapter. We're going to go down to verse 13. In the vision, the meaning of the vision is we have gone forward in time to uh, later in the tribulation when Satan no longer is allowed access to heaven. He's on earth. He knows that he has a very short time left that says this. Now, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. The Bible is clear about these, these symbolic terms. The woman is, is Israel. The child is Jesus. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle much later, right in the tribulation. Um, she, she's, uh, she, what it says there, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Second half of the tribulation. So the serpent, here's, here's the terminology out of Psalm 124. So the serpent spewed, spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which, is, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Um, and then it goes on to say that he goes in and make, he's, he's enraged at the woman and goes out and tries to and finishes his campaign and elsewhere. Um, so go back to Psalm 124. Again, this is the, the, sand, the, the long war against the Jews instituted by Satan. And um, um, you can apply this Psalm 124 to the Jews in many, many, many places across their history. It was only the Lord that has sustained the Jews. I mean, look at the, look at the truly ancient people groups in the world that you can identify. Um, you know, there's an Oriental, ancient Oriental people. How many, how many of them are there? Well, there's billions. Uh, there's an ancient um, African race. How many of them are there? Well, there's, there's billions. Uh, how many... Uh, uh, you know, um, other races are, 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 can be truly identified as ancient. Okay, now let's try to identify now the ancient Hebrew race. How many of there are there? Well, there's, a, there's millions. Only, there's far less. Why? Because they have been so systematically persecuted down through the ages. So, um, again, Psalm 124. The Lord is the defender of Israel, and he will um, always defend Israel. But, okay, so let's draw it into us. Let's draw it into an application for us. Um, I like verse 8 then. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Um, sometimes the walk with the Lord, that, that upward call, sometimes the Lord leads us into darkness. And... Um, there are times when we have to endure a great difficulty, and it's of the Lord's design. Um, 
And so um, the perspective here is that the Lord is, is got something in mind with this difficult time. He's accomplishing things that we just don't understand. Um, but blessed be the Lord, verse 6, blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Um, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our help is in the name of the Lord. You like that? The name of the Lord? Uh, to get a grasp on that, think of it this way. Um, in the name of somebody, you're appealing to the authority, the power, the resources, you know. Uh, it, uh, if we were down in Haiti and, you know, something bad happened, we could take our uh, American passport and we can get to the American embassy in Haiti and the resources, the authority, and the, you know, all the things that go with being an American citizen would be at my disposal, Right? Okay, the same way, um, our help is in the name of the Lord. We're appealing to the authority, the power, and the resources of heaven. And uh, as, as if it wasn't enough to say that, who made heaven and earth. It's like, okay, there's unlimited resources there. There's nothing to fear. He has made heaven and earth. And so, um, yeah, I might go through a time of darkness, but the Lord's got me well in hand. I think is the, if we draw that into, um, into, our, into our ascent, our, our upward call of Christ Jesus, Psalm 124. Let's go to Psalm 125. A psalm of ascents, again. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. And forever, for the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. As for such who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. Peace be upon Israel. Again, you can see how this would be um, how this would be a song of ascent. The, the imagery is of somebody who um, is making the trek to Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Mount Zion. Mount Zion is where the uh, temple was. And you can, you can just kind of imagine how it would go, you know, somebody maybe who hadn't been there uh, for a long time or returning from captivity or something like that, somebody who's, who's just... You might know coming from. Well, we should talk about the geography a little bit of of Jerusalem. There, Jerusalem is set on Mount Zion. On the south and on the east, there are again equivalent kind of hills. I'm from the West Coast. Mountain is you know eight thousand, ten thousand, twelve thousand feet. Um, when you go to Israel and they talk about mountains, they're they're really just hills. <laughs> They're not mountains, but they obtain the stature of mountains because of what happened there and, and the importance of that area. So they're not really mountains. Um, but on the uh, Mount Zion, right in the middle, is, is surrounded with land that uh, makes a natural defense for it. On the south and on the east, there are, there are other equivalent hills that provide a defense. And then... Um, uh, to the west and uh, the the north, the land gradually rises up, and so 
um, you know, I can say that the land is surrounded with mountains. And so here comes somebody, somebody's traveling. Let's just say this from the north. They're coming down. They suddenly they see the city of Jerusalem. Wow, there it is, you know. And they can see it's how it's situated. And, and it, it inspires them to think about how the Lord um, surrounds his people. Um, um, and he makes an analogy that way. Uh, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Um, uh, you know, I, I think if we, again, pull it into our time with a life that's going upward, um, you know, um, the, tr- the the promise there is to... Um, is to be one of um, stability, uh, which cannot be moved, or like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. Those who trust in the Lord. Faith gives stability to our lives. I don't know if that's, that's you know, maybe you can identify with that. I could. Boy, before I came to know the Lord, you know, I was Mr. Instability, and it was getting worse as I got closer to be saved. And... Um, Faith, you know, the Lord coming into our lives, he begins to show us how to live, show us how to think about life, how to be faithful, how to trust him, and suddenly there's great stability in our lives. And uh, faith will do that. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 9, says this. Um, Isaiah the prophet is sent to King Ahaz. He is being threatened by a coalition of the king of Syria, Rezin, and um, the king of Israel. They have made a coalition against Ahaz, and he has not the capacity to take on this, this, this threat. And so Ahaz, uh, Isaiah comes to him and makes these promises um, that they are not going to succeed Verse 7, thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, nor it shall come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, the head of Damascus is resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken so that it will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. So he's saying, I, you know, this is not going to happen. These threats that are on your horizon, looks like you don't have any way out. Don't worry about it. I've got it. It's not going to happen. And he says this, look at the other, last half of verse 9. If you will not believe... Surely you shall not be established. Um, Psalm 125, um, you know, in this, in this picture of Mount Zion being surrounded by uh, material defense, if we could peel back somehow and see with, you know, spiritual vision just how well we are defended by God. We would never, ever have a second of worry in the future of our life. Remember when uh, uh, Elijah, right? His, his, he's, he's being surrounded by an army and he just doesn't seem like he cares about it. His servant goes, hey man, what, what are we going to do? And Elijah prays and says, Lord, open his eyes. And then he, the servant saw the chariots of fire and they were 
and then, and then he saw. He had no worries after that, the servant. If, if we could see how great God's grace and mercy is towards us, we, if we sensed that, if we picked it up and knew it, boy, we would never worry again in our life, would we? That's why Jesus says, why do you worry? Look, we live, children of, of the Lord, as we have a life that's ascending out of this world, we don't live by explanations. We live by promises. God has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Provide all your needs according to his riches and glory. And he's promised, um, well, Second uh, Peter Let me go to Second Peter chapter 1. He says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord. There's knowledge. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He's saying, you have access to all of heaven's resources because of his promises. So, great and exceeding promises. We live by those promises, not by God's explanations. We go through things we don't understand, but we have his promises. It says, for the scepter of wickedness shall not depart, shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. Uh, do good to those who are good and those who are upright in their hearts. As for such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. Think what he's saying here, if we draw it into our life, um, a life that is going up. He's, he's talking about appreciation and a desire for the continuation of a good and pure governance, Right? Uh, and is for them, it was Jerusalem and Israel, how much he appreciates um, a place where he can go worship God and it's safe, it's blessed, there's people who are spiritually minded, who love God, and, and he says, I want that so much to continue and this is just wonderful. And so uh, if we draw that into our time, um, you know, uh, do you pray for the leadership of your church? Uh, do you pray for the board and the elders? Do you pray that they would be led and, and that good and godly people would be secured in those positions? If you appreciate a church that doesn't get into funny things, thank the Lord for it and pray that would continue. Uh, you know, because I don't know how many people have come to church and called us on the phone. My church is into is there a church around me that isn't into that? Could you tell me about it? And I'm like, eh, I don't know anything about them. So lots and lots of testimonies come to us, emails and uh, phone calls uh, where people say, you know, I've had to leave my church because uh, they got into this fad, this thing that's loaded with new age. And, you know, that's a sad testimony. Um, a church can change with one board meeting, you know? I mean, it can be one five-minute board meeting. <laughs> and I don't mean to frighten you. I don't say that's not going on here. Okay, that's not going on here. If you appreciate it, pray for it. Ask, thank the Lord for it, Continue that he would continue to do that.
Psalm 125, Psalm 126. Here we go. Um, This feels like, well, you'll know. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. It almost seems like that ought to be two psalms. <laughs> there's, there, there's such different uh, verses 1 through 4 and then verses 5 and 6. But um, you can see how this would be um, on, out of the mouth of somebody who's returning from or longing to return from Babylonian captivity. Um, uh, the, the, the translators of the New, uh, the New King James uh, have, have chosen to make it a past tense thing, and that's perfectly fine. Um, you know, w- when they came back from the Babylonian captivity, Israel was, the land of Israel was a mess. Um, you know, the, the once um, prosperous fields, very fruitful, agriculturally managed, you know, good shape, and they're now wild weed beds. Haven't seen a farmer for 70 years. What does it look like? Um, and yet, um, as they come back, um, he's saying it's like we've thought about this so much. We've longed for this so much. It's like we got there. It was like, oh, is this really happening? Pinch me. Am I awake? You know? Um, and, and they had a lot of work to do. You know, um, they, they got back to the land, and it was a great testimony. They're very thankful to the Lord that they've got this second chance, that the Lord had brought them back to, to continue to bless them and use them. And they knew they had a lot of work. Verse 4, really, it says, bring back our captivity. It's more like, turn it around. There's, there's lots of consequences here from us, not from, from our backsliding from our, our captivity. There's lots of things to do here to turn this around. There's material consequences. But bless us as we work towards that. So, again, if we pick up Psalm 126 and make it about a life that is ascending towards heaven, well, what about those who backslide? And what about those who want to come back? Um, um, does the Lord, is the Lord done with me? You know, those who get into that position of, of some sort of backsliding, being away from the Lord, getting into some deep sin, and then coming to their senses. Can the Lord bring me back? And the answer is yes. Um, the Lord is full of grace and mercy. He has enough mercy and enough grace for whoever you are, right here, right now, to forgive you of all your sin, and um, give you perfect standing before him. If, if you are in that state and, and want to pray to come back to the Lord, well, um, that's a simple thing. You just repent, tell the Lord the truth about what you have done, and you'll, he'll be met by his grace and his mercy. And um, uh, return from backsliding, though, 
might leave some consequences, even maybe some hard consequences. But the work that's necessary, that's ahead for that restoration is worth it. Um, To come back, you know, maybe there's some knots that have to be untied because of disobedience. There's some consequences that are hard. And it might take the Lord years to untie that. But wait on the Lord, and uh, he will do that. Bring back our captivity. Turn it around as the streams in the south. The streams in the south, uh, that's the Negev, very, very arid, dry area. And um, they're just dry riverbeds most of the year until it rains really hard up on the mountains part of the year. And then suddenly these huge uh, runoffs from these mountains make their way down and they all get channeled into a few dry riverbeds. And it's just, if you, can catch, you can catch these on the YouTube, on, uh, on, the, uh, on the internet, um, or somebody filmed this. It's just this rotten dry riverbed, nothing there, but people are all standing around and you think, what are they doing out in the desert? And all of a sudden, the camera looks up there and there's just this wall of water coming down. And uh, uh, that's the imagery. Um, you know, where, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And the, and the, the, the wording there is, is literally it hyper abounds. And so where there has been sin and failure and dryness and deadness, when you turn around and you go to find the grace of God, he has a tidal wave of grace for you to bring you back. And uh, there, might be some, there might be some work, but it's worth it. And then verse five and six, this would apply to them again. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. They would have a lot of work ahead of them to restore those fields and stuff. But he said, if you work towards it, you know what? You'll see the fruit. Um, I like this verse, verse five and six, um, for another reason. Um, again, a life that is ascending to the Lord. Um, I find that this, um, these, this, this terminology of sowing and reaping and seed for growing, that ought, to, that ought to remind you of some other things that Jesus came out of Jesus' own mouth. Matthew 13, Mark 4, where he talks about the sower and the seed and, and sowing the word of God. Um, and I, I see that in this, a life that is ascending, that is coming out of the world, ought to have a, a very strong and real concern for the lost. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Um, Spurgeon put it this way, um, the winner of souls are first weepers for souls. Um, you know, we, we want to be about the Father's business of uh, sowing that eternal word of God in people's hearts and minds. And we ought to be praying and, and, and laboring in prayer for the Lord to save people, that people would be saved. And so the, the idiom is here, laboring towards those things, staying with it, and then reaping a, a bounty. Um, Galatians 6.9 
Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. One sows, another reaps. We, and we all enter into the, the, the rewards. I like the, I like the promises here. Those who, he who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with them. Don't, don't get tired of witnessing for the Lord. You don't know what the effect will be. You may not see it in this life, but the Lord will make it clear to you that you do not labor in vain. You don't know the impact of what you are saying. Maybe it looks like somebody has just brushed it off, but you don't know how that word is cooking in their hearts and minds. It is living and powerful. And... Uh, um, you know, like uh, the Lord said through Isaiah, I send my word from heaven like rain and it accomplishes the purposes for which I send it. You're the pizza delivery guy. <laughs> you deliver it. And it goes into their hearts and minds. You don't need to worry about, about it. Um, Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Um, Psalm 127 and 128 um, really are a pair that go together. Um, and um, we have 10 minutes left. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I'm just going to touch on it briefly. We will read them both together. And um, I'm not going to rush through it, but I'll summarize it quickly. It says... Psalm 127 and 128 um, talk a great deal about family and um, the blessings of a life that is in the Lord and how much the Lord's heart is towards families. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate." And Psalm 128 fits right alongside this. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hand, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Okay, so Psalm 127 um, ends up focusing on children and families. But it starts in verse 1 and 2 about um, saying that um, no matter what you do in life, um, no matter how hard you work, whatever you do, ultimately don't trust in your own labors. Trust in the Lord and look to the Lord for his purposes. 
Um, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. It says, uh, at the beginning, it says, a song of a sense of Solomon. Is pro- we think it might have been written by, by Solomon. And that would, that would you know, put us at the time of the building of the temple or later on, maybe he's reflecting on it. And, um, you know, a builder of, of Solomon's stature could, uh, you know, reflect on... Um, the Lord's goodness this way, building. Um, maybe he is talking about uh, the temple. I, I don't know. But the, the terminology is general enough that you can apply it really to anything. What are you working towards? What are you, what are you, what are you giving yourself over towards? Um, they labor in vain who build it unless the Lord builds the house, Right? Um, um, he said, I think he's saying this again be, despite all your best efforts and you should put forward a hard heartfelt effort towards whatever you're doing but don't trust in that trust in the Lord and then my favorite verse in the Bible it is vain for you to rise up early okay I'll get to sleep in then right every musician's got that underlined right in their Bible um, no, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. The idea there is what you have worked for, unless the Lord is going to sustain and keep you in that, no matter how hard you are laboring to manage it and to take care of it and how hard you sweat and, and, and think about it and worry about it, unless the Lord's in it, um, is no security. And, uh, you know, you, you live long enough, you, you see that firsthand, right? You know, people who have labored their whole life, especially in these economic crashes that we have endured in the last 10 years. People live, you know, their whole life for retirement packages. And then some unknown corporate entity out there, you know, things turn and it goes and whew, that lifetime of work is gone. Um, don't trust in those things. No matter how hard you manage it, no matter how, how early you get up to get in the, in the front of things and, or how late you sit up to manage and get that, just the right trade and, or how, how you sweat and grieve over it. Look, just, just give it all to the Lord and rest in him. But then he says this, behold, the children are a heritage from the Lord. I think... This is somebody who, again, Solomon had everything. And so he's saying, look, I, you know, for all that I've had, um, the best thing I have is my family. And, uh, you know, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Um, the, Lord, the Lord is into families. Um, you go to the last verse of the Old Testament. What's it about? The hearts of the fathers being restored to the children. Um, uh, we could talk a lot about children and parents and families in Psalm 128. Um, uh, Lord loves your family. Let me put it that way. The Lord loves your family and wants to bless it. A Christian family ought to be a place where kids know that they are loved.
they are confident in that love and confident in God's love for them and for their family. And the parents are, are the communicators and the establishers of that. You know, that takes a great amount of humility and work and diligence that the Lord will bless. I think Psalm 127, 128 is telling us that. It's right in there, verse, verse uh, 1 of Psalm 128, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in their ways. And then these promises of a beautifully blessed family. I, you know, I can't do this justice in this time. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. The fear of the Lord is, you know, I don't think I'm going to encapsulate it perfectly, but it's the most reverential respect you could have. And it's towards the Lord so that you, 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 you want to please him. You know, on the, on, the, on the outside of that is, yes, the knowledge that who he is it's kind of like that boundary. I don't want to go over that boundary. I want to, I want to please him. I want to um, do everything for him. Um, a reverential awe that keeps us from considering doing anything else. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, um, you shall be happy. For all the work you put into um, protecting your family, to watching over your family, maintaining um, uh, you know, your finger on the pulse of what's happening in the family, watching what's coming in, what's going out in terms of what the kids are doing, what's influencing them, all that work. That's hard work. That's, you've got to stay on top of that all the time. You've got to be asking questions and having them think about it and talk about it and comparing it with the, the scriptures all the time. Grandparents, don't go to sleep. This is you too. All of that effort... You will, eat, you will eat the, when it says, you shall be happy when, when you eat the labor of your hands. Um, there'll be fruitfulness, is the idea, at the end. Lord, bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Well, let's finish there. Let's stand. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We, Lord, love your word. And we love you illuminating your word to us by your spirit. Thank you, Lord. Take our lives and make them something that glorifies you. And write your word into our hearts that we might obey you and do those things that are glorifying to you. Thank you, Lord. We love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.